0: back Tyler what's going on happy Monday and uh, again welcome back what's new
1: oh just a bunch of fun stuff over here at grassroots um, things are definitely I think uh, the light is shining a little bit on springtime right now and people are starting to start starting to think about you know their upgrades to their farm and changes that they're making so uh, the phones starting to ring a little bit more we're starting to get more emails um, so it's nice. You know, okay. that's like with winter coming, spring is also on its way. So, yeah.
0: Well, it's good to hear people are thinking ahead because that's not normal. <laughs> usually, usually it's the rush, right?
1: Yeah. Usually it's, uh, the, we should have placed this order two weeks ago, and, you know, now I need them yesterday. So in the world of, in the world of custom, that's not very easy, but uh, we do everything we can.
0: So, yeah. Um... What, what type of clients are you seeing coming at, coming at you at this point in time? Are they all over the map?
1: I'd say it's, it's pretty much half and half. We either have um, the small, you know, I'm at home and I'm in a medical status and I'm going to grow in a tent or I'm going to grow in my basement. You know, they're, they're doing their six plants or their 12 plants or their four plants, depending on where you're at. And um, they really want to grow their own cannabis uh, very passionate about having the highest quality possible and, and providing, you know, a good quality medicine for themselves and their loved ones. So I think that's like, um, I would say that's, that's probably the largest portion of our customer base at the moment. Um, a lot of emerging States, a lot of places coming online. Um, you know, I was hearing from, uh, Michael at sustainable village the other day that I think it was, uh, Massachusetts or Minnesota, one of those M states that was setting it up uh, where it was mainly going to be uh, for uh, home cultivation and cultivators at home. And they weren't going to do any col- uh, commercial cultivation for a while. Um, so it's, it's very encouraging to see places, you know, slowly getting into commercial and maybe, hey, more, let's open it up for our citizens. Um, I wish that's what they did here, you know, in California, but that obviously isn't the isn't the case. No. And then the other, other, yeah.
0: Um, I, it, it probably isn't mass because mass has been online for, God, probably five years now. So it's good to hear that Montana, because they, they were definitely a holdout, uh, is coming online. And I have, do you know, like, how many other states are, are really starting to talk about this?
1: Um, you know, it's kind of – just is rolling in from a lot of different places. I would say uh, the thing that sticks to me the most is Vermont getting a lot of phone calls from Vermont, um, you know, and those seem to be somewhat of, you know, commercial cultivators in fields and in greenhouses and also small home growers. Um, I'd, honestly, the most exciting stuff right now is happening in Australia. There's, there's a lot happening down there in that emerging market. I know we talked about that a little bit last week. Um, but you know, a lot of gross stores coming online, um, and they're importing cannabis right now from other countries because they can't grow enough of it. And, uh, they're hoping to be a major exporter, uh, considering Australia doesn't really export anything. They just pretty much import stuff.
0: Uh, uh, oh,
1: had, had a phone call coming in there. Sorry about that. <laughs>
0: Uh I didn't know that Australia was was going big. Um that's really interesting. I know Thailand broke loose.
1: Yeah, Thailand. Um uh, I think this year is going to be the land, the year of just international kind of stuff going on whether it be Thailand or uh today we got a request from Spain for eight uh 4x16 beds, which is huge for Spain. It seems like people are just doing small small stuff out there. Um so uh, be interesting to get into the commercial side of things in other different countries. You know, we're definitely there for the whole small home growers when we can get there. But um, the commercial side of things is always nice because that helps pays the bills.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Um, and I noticed that there's uh, a movement with the banking industry here in the U.S. They're talking about cutting that open finance.
1: Yeah, it'd be nice. You know, we've got customers that have to have so many different um, business names and and accounts and you know ways of getting through these things and trying to pay people and um gosh, just give them some clarity, give them some abilities to to pay without cash. So that'd be nice. We've been waiting forever for that. So needs to finally have mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: yeah. well uh
0: let's let's dive right into uh back into the um new amendment line that you're putting out. I'm really interested in hearing more about it.
1: Yeah, so we've got uh, a few different versions of our liquid, uh, which is good that I have. This-
0: another call must be coming in.
2: Well, I hope he's not picking up the calls, but yeah, I would say that's another another call coming in. But- or he dropped hard. Yeah, well, maybe it's the boss calling and then, you know, he's got to pick up the call, right?
0: Oh, well, there you go. And it looks like he is on the phone. But anyway, um, yeah. I guess we'll have to wait till he comes back on. Uh, is there anything you wanted to talk about briefly, Ken, while we got the void?
2: Well, actually, yeah, I, I'm starting a, a new grow. Um, it's going to be called the R&D Grow. We're going to be uh, showing it on the channel. I'm going to be doing all the different uh, methodologies, so hydroponics, uh, probably deep water culture, um, and of course the the soils, starting out with just uh, super soils and then moving up to the horizontal beds. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you suggest uh, on the scientific side that you would like to see in a a grow like that, where it's going to be the same basic plant uh, done in the different methodologies?
0: Well, that's a great question. Um, so, I would say that hydroponically um, nowadays there are uh, organic, non-salt versions of nutrients. Um, so that's a that's a huge breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Again, if, if our borders weren't so tight, I could send you Muncher juice, which um, is actually having some pretty good impact uh, on the on the bridge project. They're actually ordered another five gallon jug of it. Cool, um, cool, and so. Uh, so that would be, that's a great setup for that. Um, DWC, I would probably re- encourage you to get um, koi fish. Um, they tend to have a pretty good feed to conversion ratio. Um, as far as a uh, subtler tank, you want a radial. Uh,
2: radial flow. I'm probably to- not going to go as far as the aquaponics, um, just more of the the feed cycle. Um, so I'm probably not gonna de- do it be doing a DWC as much as uh, more of a drip, but I'll let Tyler and you guys talk back. Have you said it so that you're on airplane mode, Tyler? So we don't keep getting phone calls. Um, let me do that real quick.
0: Then there, we don't have to worry about your that's dropping. The reason, that's the reason why he's the producer. <laughs>
1: So I can put it on airplane mode. That's not
2: going to take me off of Wi-Fi and disconnect me. And- um, it shouldn't. It just should uh, block incoming calls. Okay. But we'll see. If it does, then jump off, jump back on.
0: So, are we ending at at an hour today, or are we going full two? And in an hour, can
2: you hear us, what Tyler?
1: I don't have a I don't have a, a exact hard stop or anything like that. I think the, the office yeah. closes at four o'clock here. So
2: okay, okay we're really in trouble, Aiden. <laughs> 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 Oh, yeah, I'm gonna jump back off, guys. Uh, you guys uh, carry on.
0: Okay, sounds good. All right, well, we were just starting to talk about your new uh, product line, so let's let's start there.
1: Yeah, I uh, sorry, I have a, a system that's connected to my cell phone. So if I'm away from my desk, it, it rings. the grassroots calls through my line. So I think we've stopped that now. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got a fungally dominant compost tea product. And we've got our normal, you know, compost tea product here. These are um, facultative microbes. They're asleep in the bottle. So they're, they're very tough and very durable. Um, we've actually found it's cold and freezing temperatures that can hurt this product. Not like if you're shipping it and it gets really, really hot. Um, it seems to be freezing temperatures do more harm to these microbes than anything else. Um, but yeah, that's the microbe plant food product line, um, where it's a soil and liquid soil inoculant that's created with worm castings. Uh, We use five different types of worms um, and we also feed them our microbial foods. So that's the big difference between our products and everybody else's products is we give you the microbial foods we use to breed those masses in the beginning. Um, The person that created this product line um, has the first ever registered uh, product um, involving humic acid and microbes over 20 years ago. And they also hold several patents in multiple different thing, multiple different parts of the agricultural industry. Um, they've even created aerial surveillance programs to look at the health of plants. Um, so the people that have created these products have, uh, created a, put a lot, a lot of knowledge and a lot of field experience into inoculating soils and feeding microbes. Um, and it's a product line I've been very successful with for the last four years. Um, a lot of our customers are really starting to notice it and, um, I'd say the, the biggest thing that I really try to put out with this line um, is efficiency and efficiency of use. Um, you know, Considering we give you the microbe foods to keep the populations alive, um, you could use a heavy do- dosage of you know, the liquid inoculant and then microbe foods to build the population. And then you're just feeding that population, hoping to keep it and maintain it. Obviously every once in a while, we wanna add more microbes, um, you know, I actually only do a, a weekly feeding of this product on my plants on a low dosage rate just to keep things moving. Um, but in a certain sense, if you had like a really highly charged soil, let's say it's, it's pumped up with all the nitrogen and potassium, it's MPKed out in every possible way, uh, you could still use these products. You just would not want to use a lot of the, let's say, veg food or bloom food. Maybe you would just want to use a little tiny pinch to activate it and get it going. Um, so we have several customers that are using it, uh, maybe a little bit as an activator and then feeding their system just to keep the microbes alive. Okay. Or if you're you know, needing nutrients in here, you could use this as a full on plant nutrient system. Um, so veg, bloom, and then um, wettable mycorrhiza. So this has got your trichoderma, this has got your Indo, your ecto, and mm-hmm. I love dipping roots in this rather than dusting the hole. I think uh, dusting the hole is really good for those people uh, that manufacture these products because you are using a lot of it in every single hole and you're hoping for the roots to connect to the mycorrhizae and then it just goes out from there. Uh, when we take those products and we add them into a five gallon bucket with liquid, maybe some other inoculants, maybe some other microbe foods and we dip our roots in that, we're ensuring that connection of the mycorrhiza to the root system. Um, and I like to kind of plan it out to where my root balls are a little dry and then they act like a, just a sponge. So you stick them down in that bucket. They absorb up all the mycorrhiza touching the roots, breaks up the root ball a little bit, and then you set it right in the soil and get moving. Um, so that's why, that's the, the big thing I'm, I'm making with this product line is we want people to be able to be very efficient with how they use things and how they're, you know, thinking about the usage of these products and all the other products that they have together.
2: So,
0: excuse me, let's back it up a little. You said something about a combination of microbes and NPK. So you're talking about salt-based fertilizers, um, some of your clients using both, like hybrid systems?
1: Yeah, yeah. We definitely do have a lot of people that are getting into living soil and still have just walls or, say, the storage room full of old nutrients they have. you know, A lot of times they're still wanting to use that stuff and deplete Mm -hmm. it. Um, this nutrient line can be used in the Synganix environment. I think there's a lot of people that are in that as far as living soil goes, they haven't maybe fully converted over. Um, so this product line can definitely help solubilize those nutrients, help chelate those nutrients and help move things forward. I obviously would take a huge point of caution because if you're doing that and you jump up your chloride levels or your salt levels too high, you're going to have some major issues in your system. So, um, I definitely think it's possible for people to uh utilize this product line with all systems. Um, you know, I think you should be doing living soil and you know, and, and counting on the soil to provide for you. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, you know where I stand with that, but <laughs> we don't need to go there. I mean, I, I did a lot of uh, extensive work early on in trying to figure out where the sweet spot with, um, synthetic fertilizers and microbes were, Um, and it was really tricky because you're absolutely right. If you're, if you're going heavy feeding, um, you get that salt buildup and and it's now you got to flush and you got to do all these other things that are detrimental to your microbial community. So it's not the ideal way, but I did get to a point where I was able to use very low doses of, you know, regular miracle, miracle grow, uh you know ammonium nitrate you name it um and still have pretty good results although i did knock back the microbial diversity and community so there was the need to re-up again uh periodically to maintain that high level of of, uh, microbial populations so it is possible but yeah again it's it's a kind of a slippery slope um that you kind of get you can get yourself in trouble very quickly for sure But I'm glad to hear that you know that some people are still out there experimenting with it because the combination, especially if you're using what I want to call um, more user-friendly salts like mineral salts, not not the you know fertilizers produced by uh, natural gas uh, distillation, but um, some of the other ones. You know, again, you have to be really careful with it, but it's possible. So I'm glad to hear that your clients are still uh, trying this, experimenting that. types of systems um, good
1: and uh, Leighton how do you feel about um, using sulfates in living soil systems is um, there alternatives or is that what we just need to be using because it's
0: well like for potassium I'd recommend potassium silicate. yeah um, way yeah. Better than the sulfates and unfortunately the vast majority of those mineral salt minerals are in the the sulfate uh, family but if you look outside of that if you especially if you go um ag big scale ag you can find products that don't have the sulfate they have another delivery system um, because that's another one you know sulfur is is very very important but if it gets too high it can definitely whack chemistry so um, i always recommend looking for an alternative first if you can't and check your sulfur numbers before you do it. And if you can't, if you're already high in sulfate, then you got to go back to what we call alternatives. Um, you know, like different types of meals that that are more short term and not as long term as some of those um, sulfates. But you can pretty much find an alternative if you're looking hard enough. Um, because you're right; it, too much of one of these things can definitely throw the balance off. I've
1: heard of some growers talking about different options besides sulfates, but it never got real deep into it. And it's like, you know, copper sulfate or magnees or, you know, that whole area and realm of them, you know, it just seems like that's, those are first recommended, you know, so it's always interesting to see what other people are doing.
0: Yeah. You know, it's crazy to me that, that copper sulfate is recommended as a nutrient because actually it's a freaking uh, pesticide. We use mm. copper, copper sulfate to treat different funguses so if you're using that as a mineral you're definitely knocking back your fungal species and especially if you've invested in mycorrhizae and you're expecting them to maintain in between uh runs you kind of shot yourself in the foot with that one so yeah, i definitely absolutely. encourage people to do more research and understanding the consequences of some of these mineral um, additions because you can set yourself back pretty damn far pretty quick, that's for sure. Um, have yeah, you ever, have you ever like uh, specifically with your microbial pro- products? Have you done what we call um, quantitative or qualitative microscopy to kind of see where the sweet spot is in during their lifespans?
1: Um, as far as looking at the the life and what what's identified under a microscope,
0: yeah, yeah, we've had
1: several people do that. I think. Um, the Catalyst Bio Amendments people, uh, oh. Casey, um, uh, Ernest, um, and some of those people, they've had a good look at our stuff and have had some, some deep talks um, uh, with David Olson. And we've actually talked about possibly doing um, some collaborative work in the future, uh, you know, by using their boutique compost uh, to be making some of this process. But you know, when we go through the manufacturing process of these things and we bring it to the facultative state, um, there, there's definitely some biology that's lost. You know, I don't think there's any way that we can ever ever replicate, rep, rep, replicate what you get out of a handful of compost, you know, out of, out of one of these bottles. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, we can see, they can see those different characters in there and they can see the fungi levels. They can see a lot of those things. But there's still definitely some people missing from that group that can only be found in, in live compost, I feel.
0: Agreed, um, hundred percent. That was, that was some of the other work that I've been doing with this uh, the Muncher crew is they use a lot of facultative mm. in their process, um, which is great because it really does an amazing job of degrading and decomposing um, food waste at, at a very quick pace. But what was interesting was, as the waste goes through the process, we start to see some of these other true aerobes, like uh, flagellates, amoeba, um, that are coming out of the end product, the output. So, and I haven't got the data back on it yet, but my gut feeling or my my theory is that it's coming from uh, the inputs in, in an endophytic form that's being released during the process and allowing them to uh, survive due to the level of aeration and the, and the proper temperature man, uh, maintained. So again, learning curve big time. But you know, in nature, we know for sure that there are anaerobic and aerobic pockets everywhere. So who's the, who's the bridge? Well, that's the facultative family. So even if you're only using pure facultatives in an, in an aerobic environment, um, you will encourage the what we call necromass, which is the built up uh, biology, you know, everything from uh, orthopods, worms, all the way down to single cell organisms that are stored in the soil systems or are coming in on the air, uh, wind or water. So <clears throat> it's definitely like one of the things I learned early on in, in doing turning fields. So taking a field that had been in synthetic production for 50, 60 years. And how do, how do you turn that? So when originally, you know, I, I finished my work with Rodale and, and Elaine, I left there thinking, oh, I just got to go straight aerobic, aerobic. And I found that if I landed pure aerobes on a field that had been heavily fertilized, um, what would happen was I couldn't turn it very quick. It would take multiple applications. Um, so later on, I tried playing with the facultatives. And what I learned was that if I did one application of the facultative, so let, let's back it up a little so the audience understands what we're talking about here. So a facultative anaerobe is, is coming in in an environment that is around four parts per million oxygen. Zero parts per million is anaerobic. Truly aerobic is eight parts per million or greater. So you're right in the middle between the anaerobes and the aerobes. And what they did was they, they quickly turned that field uh, to a point where I could, in two to three months, come back with a pure Arobe uh, and I would get explosive growth. So again, I think that you're, you're this, this gentleman and your, your product line's approach to how to get that, that high population of Arobes is the proper first step. Uh, instead of just going purely in with all in with a, you know, like a case, Keisha and Casey's compost, um, because that's going to take time. It's going to take transition time for that to, to, to turn around. So again, I, I, you know kudos to him. I, I, and I hope Ken uh, does get a hold of him at some point. We can get him on the show and talk more about his work, because I'm really interested in, in what he's done um, to get to this point, especially, you know, you're talking about latest technologies, you know, mapping um, color spectrum of plants to determine, you know, pests and, and, and also nutritional levels. Really cool shit, dude. Really cool shit.
1: Yeah, he holds, holds a lot of patents, and um, he's constantly, constantly trying to, um, you know, be at the edge of his seat with, with having the most latest data. And uh, he always goes back to his success story was humic acid. You know, uh, aerobic, anaerobic, facultative, that's obviously where they landed with facultative, but the true success... He said was was the amount of humic acid he uses in the microbe foods was the most impactful that they saw in all of their studies. So um, it's just such a big building block and so important to have in soil. And so so that was that was like his big like hanging factor. Man, it was it's the humic acid, the yeah,
0: soil yeah acid, you know. <laughs> That's I like, like it. The, I credit I credit that to to everything I've ever accomplished as well. Um, so I don't know if you know my backstory, but basically I take uh, you know highly bio-intensive compost, worm castings, uh, fish brew products, and I put them in a machine to mechanically um, strip off all the microbes and the humic and fulvic acids. And so in the very first Job I got out of Rodale was working with a gentleman, um, ecological landscape management, who was doing you know huge parks for state and federal government, um, as well as uh, communities as, and uh, you know individual cities and towns. So he had a problem, and that was that all the work that he was doing was on engineered soil. Now engineered soil is ninety nine percent sand, one percent organic. And these companies would come in and they would use a nitrate fertilizer uh, or sometimes a combination of nitrate and ammonia fertilizers. Well, the problem with nitrates is that the organisms have to break down the carbon. In other words, the organic matter to build the fuels so that they can break down the nitrates. So the percentages of you know, that 1% was and sometimes not even there was negligible. So how do you get fungi? And protozoa to take hold in sand, you can't. They just wash right through. Mm. So, in the combination of my my uh, process, um, we were able to spray what I lovingly refer to as chocolate water, um, because mm. it, it's so thick that you can't see through it. Um, and and all those superfine particulate are magnetically charged through a uh, kinatics, which is another whole rabbit hole. Um, but they bond together with the sand almost instantly. And we would go back after two applications in a month or two, and you'd have chocolate sand now. And that that was tightly bonded enough that it would hold the, the protozoa. But that carbon source was now present for the fungi to take hold. But we did not affect the structural properties of the sand. So it didn't turn muddy when it rained or when too many people walked on. It. And that's, that's what started me down the rabbit hole of humic acid. And that's when I met um, Bob Faust or Dr. Robert Faust, mm-hmm. and he, he just took me down that friggin' whirlpool into a whole other world of trying to understand how complex uh, humic acid is. I mean, it's, it's I, I forget how many different individual compounds, but it's in the thousands. So every time somebody breaks a piece off as a food source, whether it's a fungi or a bacteria, now you've got multiple different compounds that continue to feed the whole ecosystem so i i, I believe 100 percent your 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 uh your your supplier was spot on with the power of humic acid uh, as a you know a jump start to getting to that true ecology or, or what i want to call complete soil food web so it's interesting that, you know, these parallels happen. You know, we don't know each other, but yet we came to the same conclusion uh, as a result of the work in the field that we had done.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's like the way naturally things, you know, come together and progress, and it's great to see that those things are aligning like that. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those great bonding things. You know, it's like I look at humic acid as almost just like uh, food is for us, you know, yeah. uh, we, we want to get together and we need to break bread together and, you know, and you get to drop, bring, bring those lines down and create better friendship and community. And it's like humic acid is the same thing in the soil in a certain sense. I'm sure. There's a lot of characters in the soil like that, but I think that's a good analogy.
0: Yeah. You know, another way to look at it too, is that it's it's almost, it's almost like a complete Thanksgiving uh banquet because you're bringing in all, everybody's bringing in a dessert or a bottle of wine or bottle of scotch or whatever and everybody's getting together you know as a family as a community enjoying you know incredible amount of all different types of food and that's the other power of humic acid is that what it does to chemistry is amazing it makes chemistry play nice uh two clients have called me within the last year with potassium levels that should have been toxic to the point and and salt toxic you know salt to- toxicity and Potassium toxicity and neither one of them were struggling. And I I was like, all right, what, what is going on here? Tell me what you're using. And both of them told me they are using a full humic acid almost weekly, if not every, if every other week, if not weekly. So again, that's the power of that, of that compound is that it not only supports incredible high levels of biology, but it also forces the chemistry to play nice. It's almost like a keylet. Just like a get, yeah. Yeah. It gets deep dude, but it's, it's like, it's called sharing electrons or exchanging electrons. And as soon as you do that, you can either unlock something or you can lock it up. And, and again, it, this is a geo biochemical process. That's super complex, but that's why it works. Um, I can't explain the biogeochemical interactions because that's so complex. It's, it's, you know, I don't think a supercomputer could actually figure it out because it's happening and changing all the time and, and it's constantly in flux. So there's no one point you could say, oh, well, it broke this apart. Well, then this other one bonded them back together in a different format or shared an electron or stole an electron. So that's changed the whole whole picture again. But yeah, that's the that is the power of humic acid. Um, is that it's just I remember
2: it, it, guys, we actually have uh, Leah Oram with the um uh, bioag or not bio egg, quad egg. We have a discount code on their Humic and Fulvic products in the description, so uh, you guys can check.
0: Yeah, thanks for giving her a plug, Ken. She's a she's a great woman. She's doing a lot of hard work. And uh, the fact that she brought a f- uh, Fulvic acid, human-grade Fulvic acid to the market is huge. Like, we should all be taking that. I mean, that is definitely goes right in at cellular level, uh, helps to build inner and outer shell walls helps increase the ability for the individual cell to function at a higher level and uh and we used to get it in our food <laughs> but we don't anymore and and we used to get it when we rolled around and made mud pies but we don't do that anymore
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually not quad ag, that's the ironclad. and they're coming out with one for animals uh as well to help with uh let's say natural gas in, in animals.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And health overall health too. I mean, she, that was a podcast that was really, really uh, powerful on the, on the understanding of how this product was helping animals, um, digest better, uh, build healthier tissue within themselves and therefore healthier for us who are consuming those animals. So, uh, again, very, very powerful shit. I'm sorry. We went way off the fucking topic there. So let's reel that. Let me reel myself back in this time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, humic acid is amazing though. And it's uh, obviously it's, it's good friend foldic acid. Um, I, I'm not very good at knowing what the differences are in between the two, but I think it's foldic acid. That's uh, more rare or not, not as available as the humics, right?
0: Yep. You're spot on. As a matter of fact, uh, Bob in his process ends up with tremendous amount of excess hemic acid um, to get that small fraction of the fulvic. So I think fulvic makes up about one percent, maybe two percent of an extraction from leamidite brown coal um, is the process he uses personally. I use plant matter to extract the humic and fulvics. So when I when I was in full production, it, I would get uh, out of a hundred pounds of my end product, I would get about five gallons of humic acid and one hundred and twenty gallons of uh, excuse me, five gallons of fulvic and one hundred twenty gallons. Of okay. Fulvic. And out then hundred pounds. Yeah, out of a hundred pounds of compost that I extract. Um, so there, there, there you go. It's pretty close to two or almost three percent that you can extract Um, a a good trick to doing it is um, if you take if you take well developed or mature compost um, and you you add it to water uh, turn it into a slurry and then screen out the solids so now you have a humic acid and then you take those solids and you put them in a wine press or any kind of food press, oh. and you slowly press it. If you go too quick, you're going to corrupt the folic But if you go really slow, the only thing that comes out of it is is this golden liquid, which is the folic acid. So anybody can do this at home. It's not it's not complicated. Um, so especially if you make your own vegan compost, you can make your own food grade human grade freaking folic acid as well.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's some
0: powerful on, on foliar. I mean, it just yeah. blows the plant up.
1: I'm glad you said that because that was used, one of my key things that I used when I'm uh, doing foliar sprays is some full power fulvic acid, I think, from BioAd.
0: Yep, full power is is, is a very, very well manufactured product. It's It's got mm. zero corruption in it, as clean as the day is long. And again, he uses biogeochemical interactions to get the, the release of that from the lanadite, whereas most people just use acids and bases, which end up with a residual coming through on your product. Um, and I think that I think that woman is doing a similar process where she's using you know biology as well as uh, chemistry to unlock the the, the two different
1: it's a huge relief when I mention a product and you can back it, back it up with actually like scientific information of why it's good to be use it instead of mentioning a product. And then somebody saying, you don't want to use that. You know, it's like,
0: (laughs) 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 unfortunately I've been in the trenches too long, brother. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm I'm definitely impressed with uh, your, your suppliers uh, methodology and, and approach, you know, especially in the, hanging in the facultatives uh, to, to get to the pure pure is It's genius.
1: Yeah, his main customer base would be uh, wineries here in California. And he's doing a lot of um, just conventional ag in the Midwest, corn, corn soybeans, um, a lot of basic stuff like that. And they're doing um, applications uh, just a couple times a season. Uh, usually like a pre-planting application uh, before they put their, their seeds out or, you know, before they get their plants out into the field. Um, so that's kind of like the, the the big portion along with um, uh, several um, seasonal treatments on golf courses as well to help that, that uh, um, grass just eat up all that decaying matter and keep things going. So um, we kind of get to head up the cannabis side of things for him. Uh, which is which is great
0: yeah I'm, I'm impressed that he's been able to penetrate the golf course market because that one's another one it's just i mean they they're almost worse than farmers um, because of their schooling They go to this expensive process of getting certified as a greenskeeper and it's all mpk mpa mpk and you know in my experience, the ones that I worked with took so much time to convert them that once I got them converted a new president would come into the golf uh, into the golf course or you know, the golf club and he'd bring his guy in with him and so i would lose two to three years worth of work uh, in turning of course so uh, it's exciting to hear that that he's penetrating that market because if you ever look at golf courses there's always running water that always. they're always
1: green they're always green
0: but everything is washing into those streams <laughs> rivers and lakes that are surrounding them and you know that's always been my biggest beef that and and the fact that you know the the farming community doesn't put buffers like at least a 100 foot 200 foot buffer between the edge of the field and any natural waterways you know those two little things could create such a huge change in in the damage that we've done in our aquatic ecosystems uh i i was in the beginning of my work i did a lot of I spent a lot of time going to different streams and creeks and, and ponds uh, and, and even rivers in, in you know, the western part of Connecticut, which is very similar to Vermont. I mean, it's very, very rural. <coughs> and I would never find uh, rotifers, and rotifers are the foundation. They're a facultative of Arab, um, but they're the foundation of um, this, the, the aquatic food web. In other words, uh, a lot of the, the smaller single cell organisms like, you know, the frog eggs, uh, fish fry-that's what they eat to get to the next level where they can start to digest algae, uh, insects, and other things. So, without that bridge, um, it's impossible for them to, to get up the next chain um, to start, you know, actually eating the other foods that are available. So, you know, that again, that's my bitch with golf courses is, and, and farmers that don't create buffers between waterways. Um, but to have him penetrating those markets, that's huge. That is huge.
1: Yeah, uh, just uh, I hate to keep talking about somebody who's not here or anything like that. But I do want to say David's biggest claim to fame is his scientific uh, environmental report that he did in the Bay Area, single-handedly stopped uh, the pipeline going right through um, uh, the Delta. So wow. he, he proved several species were going to be lost in his his environmental impact report, and uh, that's kind of his biggest uh, impact is that he was able to stop that from happening several years ago. Well,
0: that's fantastic, <laughs> man. He's he's my hero now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's actually uh, um, up in Washington or Alaska uh, helping count the salmon.
0: Right. In the last oh. twenty years. Nice, nice. So is he an elderly gentleman? Does Is he still working full-time? Uh,
1: it, amazingly, his dad, Gus, that started the company, is still in the email chains, and I get to see Gus every once in a while. Gus is about an 86-year-old man, um, and he was the one who was working with NASA in the beginning to develop these products and help digest poop on the space station. Uh, but his son, David Olson, now has taken the reins and is taking this a lot further. David is... Oh gosh, I, I hate taking saying whether people are old or young or not, but I think he's in his fifties, uh, his early fifties, um, and um, yeah, he's David the Microbe Man. So uh, there's a couple of uh, I did a F uh, Future Cannabis Project. If you look up uh, just Tyler Grassroots on YouTube um, or David Olson, you'll see uh, we did about a two-hour uh, intro on FPC a couple of years back talking about his products. Nice. Um, nice. He's got his big chalkboard in the background with all of his, his writings and teachings and all kinds of stuff like that. So it, it gets very deep whenever we go to
2: the, the manufacturing facility.
0: I definitely got to talk to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> We've
2: reached um, out to him. We're just waiting for him to respond. We think he's maybe, uh, uh is in Alaska counting salmon. And that's why he hasn't got back to us yet. So we'll have him sense. on. Definitely.
0: Which makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, all right, so so let's talk more about um, some of these other uh, products that you uh, that he's providing for uh, providing to you, and that is let's let's talk about the microbial foods. Um, so are those like rock powders or, or
1: mainly rock? rock? Yeah, you're right. You totally picked it up. That provides us with thirty different minerals. So a complex rock dust uh is, is very important. He's also adding in calcium, also adding in uh it's 0.5% sulfur, 0.4% iron. Uh the guaranteed analysis is 0. 0.50 and then 3.0 for like the MPK ratio that's on there. Okay. Um so it's it David describes it as it's everything you need in one bag because man, normally we sell them in one pound pouches. Um so the microbe foods are everything you would need uh, to feed microbes. And as far as David's you know, opinion, as far as that goes, of what he th- feels feeding microbes should look like, um, in his opinion, it's everything you need. Along with, um, uh, there is a surfactant, yucca, uh, in here automatically. Um, and then uh, there also is um, fish hydrolysate in the veg formula that would be the main. So just a straight fish powder. Um, I believe it's like a zero or a 15, 15, zero, something like that, uh, or fifteen zero zero. zero, um, zero. But uh, that's probably the main nitrogen source in there and the other different minerals. Um, you know, everything I've learned from David is we want to feed these microbes a, a complex, very vast food source. Uh, if we feed them one thing, they're going to get concentrated on on one thing they're going to get good at eating one thing and then they're going to you know breed a certain population so his goal was also to have the most diverse food source possible uh so in between all the different items in here i think he said there's up to uh 200 different kinds of food sources in here for microbes um l-amino acids uh surfactants vitamins and enzymes as well um so we've got a lot
0: of is it powder or liquid
1: Oh, 100% powder, very soluble powder um, that will actually um, kind of disperse in the air a little bit. It's so soluble. Um, The only problem we've had with these products is we highly, highly recommend using your liquid first, pouring it out, and then closing the cap. Because if you have this cap open and then you start using the powders, the powders can aerosol into the air and they could settle into the bottle so you know this bottle doesn't smell it doesn't stink it smells like raw dirt there's no no real smell to this product but if it does smell that means it was activated and you probably shouldn't use it um it, it's good it'd be good for 24 hours if it's activated but most likely if you activated it and you go back weeks later and you and you crack it open you got some foul smell to it it's gone anaerobic and we need to call me for replacement at that point you know unless it was obviously your fault and order more but um i think that's that's the only problem that we've really had is if you leave the main bottle open and you start pouring your powders out um you know this is a fine talcum powder kind of dust and that's why uh, you know a lot of times if i'm lazy I, i've got plants that i just top dress with it and then my dad comes back a day or two later and waters them in a normal process and i get my feeding done
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's the beauty of those flowers. Again, it's not powder. It's a flower. It's, it's so finely ground that it is.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um,
0: And I, and I love, again, the uh, concept of not only providing that flower, which will naturally stick to compost. And I think, you know, what probably drove a lot of, uh, of his initial work was, was looking at, all right, It takes so long for these microbes to actually start disintegrating clay and silt and sand that to get those minerals, why not just go right to square one and and attack rock and turning it into powder um, as a way to create more surface area and something that will stick to the the, uh, organic matter um, and provide those nutrients long-term. Again, it's like something that, yeah, I wouldn't say long term is the correct term. Sansote and Clay is long term. Uh, but those powders are, are what I would call medium release. So they're still going to be present to some degree, you know, months after you apply them, um, unless your microbial community just got crazy. Well, I guess we did lose them.
2: Yeah, I don't know. He, as he said, he's at the office, so everything gets directed directly to his phone. So that may be overriding something in the back end. Hard to say.
0: Yeah, or maybe his battery because he up oh, there. He is. You're back. Yeah, did
1: you plug your phone in? No, no. I got another phone call through our automated system. So it's it's not it's not the phone calls aren't going through the cell signal they're going through the Wi-Fi because I'm I'm connected to my computer and I can do the next one at home maybe that would be better <laughs> if I go home and then we could have like the view of my garden in the background and plants and, and stupid <laughs> conference room
2: yeah we,
0: we don't want to take you away from your work it's you're you're doing a very important job so uh, prefer to keep you there so you could do that and and we'll just deal with it with you bouncing off and bouncing back on.
1: Thank you for uh, the patience late I, I appreciate that.
0: Dude of course no stress man no stress. Um, so yeah again we, you know we were just talking about um, the powders themselves or the flowers um, as, as how available they are you know, versus the sand silk and clay. And did, did he does he label like the specific uh, rocks that he's using to create these flowers or is it just like the nutrients that came from those rocks?
1: Um, if you're okay with me leaving the room for a quick second, I can grab this full sheet like kind of description that goes through it yeah. real quick and I could kind of break yeah, one one
0: second. That we uh that we can talk about it.
2: Hey Ken, you want to pop on and uh make any announcements? Um not really, other than you know, we're gonna be starting the new show. We've got um a, a gentleman named Rod Fritt. He used to work with in the uh, uh hockey industry, He was a, a fighter. And uh, so he's got a lot of damage, seventy concussions. He's going to start a, a, a show about what he's growing uh, as well, and how um, it's helping him with his problems. And he's going to we're going to look at bringing on different sports figures to talk about using cannabis and some of the benefits that they're seeing in their lives um, from cannabis use. Um, so that's another new show that's uh, uh, going to be starting here probably in the next month or so. That's and fantastic. there he's back that's fantastic Kevin. Uh, keep trying brother keep trying uh, the more people that learn that it's all about the biology uh we, we're gonna heal this planet uh, one cannabis farmer at a time
0: there you go there you go
1: um so this product is six percent humic acid derived from leonardite um Fish protein hydrolysate, soy protein hydrolysate, calcium, oh, I'm gonna murder this one, lignosulfate, and seaweed. Um, So, no, it doesn't go too deep into the rock dusts, but we do have um, heavy, excuse me, heavy metals testing uh, done on all of these products. um, And everything is nice, clean, and clear as far as that goes. We've never had anybody uh, block at any of our testing as far as the, uh, heavy metals go. Um, 20,000 different species of beneficial bacteria, fungi, and protozoa in the main product. Um, he actually has several different kinds of foods for microbes. So okay. these are just the two basic foods we have for microbes, which would be veg and blue. You know, that's just keeping it simple for the cannabis industry. Um, And he's got several different versions of the liquid that I don't sell. Um, They're just a little bit too complex for the cannabis industry so far. Um, The next food type he has that I have in stock, and we used to sell it on our website, but we've just backed out of it, was the calcium food or seafood. Um, The seafood is a very interesting product. uh, Stimulates growth of beneficial microbes capable of consuming chitin-based proteins, Uh, When you have a problem with chitin-based insects like aphids, spider mites, caterpillars, root aphids, fungal diseases, our microbes are trained to eat, irritate those bugs as well. Um, So that is just by changing the food. We keep the same liquid, but then you change the food and we change what those microbes are doing for you as well um he also has a salt buster program so microbes that are specifically trained to uh, uh, remediate salt from a program as well and a specific food uh based off of that um and he also has a lot of really uh low price frass as well so he's an importer of uh frass um and we're selling frass for i think like eight bucks a pound or something like that
2: Where can we find this place? Because you're saying it's not on your website anymore? A lot of these products are not on
1: our website anymore. We've just gone with just the basic veg bloom and our and our other stuff. But you can contact me and I can sell you any of these products. Uh, We've got our uh, five times concentrate version of the liquid. Uh, Normally this comes in a 2.5 gallon jug, but he was able to dehydrate out the water and we are able, I have uh, the five times concentrate version of this. I should grab the bottle real quick if you guys are okay with me You're walking looking,
0: out again. Yeah, please. All means. I'm just wondering if, if that's so dehydrated that it's powder again. No, no, it's still liquid. Oh, it's still liquid.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, the only way I've been able to uh, maintain a high level of microbial community is in liquid, in liquid suspension. Was do uh, what's called a triple or quadruple wash. So I use the same water, but I use new compost every time. Um, mm. very, very volatile because there's just such a huge biological man in the liquid that's left that it can be problematic. So I wonder how. I wonder if you can make a pH suspension mm. or something with the five times concentrated.
1: Um, let's see if you can see. Some of the species that are on here this is very hold on one second here guys
0: spin it concentration levels a little bit toward the camera other way there. there you go so that we can see the species looks like a lot of bacillus uh, yes.
1: bacillus bacillus this is really bad but i can obviously send you a a copy of this would probably be the best thing to suspend up on the screen.
0: Yeah, it's it's just because you're moving that it's hard to see it. But
2: yeah, sorry about that, guys. Yeah, so if you you send me a picture of it, um, of course you can't do it on your phone right now. But if you sent me a picture, <laughs> pocket, I, I could bring it up. You're kind of using your phone right now, yeah.
0: Anyway, um, yeah, that's that's very cool. Very cool. Um, it's probably something to do with that. The bacillus species is just such a tough little motherfucker. You can almost put it in any condition and not kill it. Um, what I have found that a lot of the, the more specialized organisms um, are very sensitive. Like you can't, you can't breed them in a lab. Um, they have to have the right conditions or they, they cyst up, they don't divide. Um, so, you know, again, in, in the work that I've done, when I get into those higher concentration levels, I, 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 the client has to use it immediately upon receiving it or put Mm. it in suspension, keep it bubbling because otherwise, like you said, it goes anaerobic and you know, the only, the only beef I have with, with a product going anaerobic is that now you've got what we call a nutrient solution. So it's basically all of the nutrients that were in those individual species that have died that caused that, Noxious smell to come out. Um, there, the nutrients are still there. Wow, you're doing the space shuttle.
1: <laughs> I, I didn't even touch anything, and it rotated on me. I'm not sure what happened there. There, there we go. go.
0: Um, is that they're mobile in in soil solution? So, you know, it smells bad. You pour it on the soil. Um, as long as it doesn't rain or you don't water. Um, they will, that those nutrients will quickly be consumed by the biology and the plants because they're both biologically as well as plant available at that point. I mean, a, a classic example of that is, is in Vermont. Every spring you have all of the farmers, all the cow farmers up there taking their lagoons, which was all the manure they stored all winter long, which will take your breath away if you mm-hmm. get close to them. And then they apply them on their fields, and for the 24 hours, it stinks to high heaven. But after that 24, 36-hour period, there's no odor left because, again, everything was consumed. Um, the only problem is that if you get rains after you apply it, you're washing it down into the river, streams, and lakes. And that's causing that the same problem that we have with with MPK salt-based fertilizers. Um, but so I, is that
1: a... Is that a way of them dealing with that waste, but it's also benefiting them in the field? Because I was just looked at that as just a bad, just a nasty process. You know, it's like. It
0: is. It is a very nasty process. But in nature, um, you know, typically we'd have herds of animals come through and do just that. Just shit and puke and give birth and leave all kinds of stuff behind. And then nature would break it down, and that's what kept the cycle uh, of life going. So it's 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 only bad when you are applying that stuff irresponsibly. Like if you know it's going to rain tomorrow, if you applied it today, shame on you, because you are polluting. That's bad. But if you're if you're watching the weather and paying attention and say, oh, it's not going to rain for three or, three, three or more days, then it's no problem because you know it's gonna get chewed up within the first 24 to 36 hours. And I mean, they have tremendous explosive corn growth and that's all they use. They don't use, well, sometimes they do supplement a little bit of nitrogen if, if they didn't get the plant reaction that they needed quick enough. Uh, the old saying, the corn needs to be knee high by 4th of July. So if it isn't knee high by 4th of July, some of these guys will go back in and apply other things. Um, but for the most part, it's it's a closed loop. They feed the cows. The cows poop. The poop goes in the lagoon. The lagoon gets used up in the spring, and then they start the process over again. But it it does smell like hell.
1: Yeah, you don't want to be that operator dishing that stuff out. It's pretty nasty.
2: I, I used to truck into the through Washington. We'd cross the border to all the dairy farms, and you go, Ah, yes, fresh dairy air.
0: Terrier, I love it, love it. Um, All right, so uh, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, talk about with his product line that you're, you know, working with?
1: Um, I would say um, he's doing a lot of experiments right now um, with uh, inoculated biochar and inoculating it with certain species of fungi. Um, He's found that uh, the only way to get those species to survive is with a live root system. So he's experimenting with inoculating small portions of um, uh, biochar with roots in them. So like in a certain sense, by the point a customer would want to use it, you would have to, you know, take that plant, kill that plant, which most likely would be like a corn or a soybean plant. Um, and then you would be able to take that little sack and then extract that out, do like a, a compost extract, and be able to use a lot, utilize that stuff. Um, so he's he's got a lot of really interesting stuff that he's doing, and he also created um, an incubator for a lot of the species that he's using, so he can expand those populations himself, and he can you know purchase commercially available versions of it and just recreate those. Um, uh, I would also say um he's got a special process for brewing this stuff in the winter compared to the summer um and i would really love david to talk about some of the tools he uses too to monitor these populations and the oxygen levels during the brew process um well some of that stuff's obviously getting into his pri- proprietary stuff of how he makes a product, he probably doesn't want to talk about, but there's some really cool tools that are used. Um, I did a little photo shoot in his facility years ago, and they have this super like big machine and it sticks a probe down in the water and it monitors the levels of oxygen. Um, and sometimes he's used uh spa pumps, these cool, cool spa pumps that have like a two and a half inch uh hole on like a 10 foot piece of PVC pipe. So it goes down into the bottom of the container and it's adding even extra oxygen in there. So he's like the ultimate compost tea brewing geek, um, you know, with the microscope there and then looking at this stuff himself to evaluate those populations, um, is what he does as well. Um, yeah, he's out there in Clarksburg within all the wine industries and, um, you know, doing his thing. And I think that the most exciting thing he's done is, is, uh, we should be hearing from the CDFA in the next couple of weeks for the fungally dominant version. Uh, once the fungally dominant version is approved by CDFA and they recognize all the different species he has, uh, then we can turn it loose on our website and start selling it on a bigger, bigger level. Nice.
0: Nice. Well, exciting stuff. I, um, you know, again, people like this that are innovators and, and, you know, being boldly going where no one else has gone before and trying to understand and crack some of these processes to get the public to have access to it you know those those are those are my heroes dude right there and then um, yeah. so I'm glad that you're working with them and, and getting the word out about these products because personally you know everyone's like oh competition competition I'm like no you don't understand the market is so big and it has such a huge demand that there could be millions of these people out there, me and him and everybody else that's doing the hard work, Casey and Keisha. There could be millions of us, and we'd still never have to directly compete because of the the need for this products or these products to get out into the masses. I mean, when I originally started, I looked at the uh, lawn care industry, landscape industry. I mean, you talk about a footprint. Um, You're flown over the country and looked out your window, you can see, you know, Farmers' fields, but you get into residential areas, and everybody's got a lawn, and all of those lawns are being treated synthetically. And so, you know, that was that was where I thought would I could have the biggest impact, but I got the most resistance um, because people didn't want to change. They didn't, I mean, even though you told them, "Hey, look, you pay every year fifty dollars, hundred dollars for for your fertilizer program." Um, I could come in and charge you $150 twice, $300 in one year, and you never have to do it again. But it only makes sense. Yeah, you paid up front for it, but they don't get it. It was like, no, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with what I'm doing. And I'm like, yeah, but your, your, your kids are out there rolling around this. Your pets are walking in this and dragging it into the house, and, and you're not concerned about that while you shop at Whole Foods, <laughs> right? Yes, that was that was one another one of those you know that was so frustrating but we're definitely seeing an increase in in you know land care professionals um saying hey you know enough is enough my guys have to wear all these suits when they're spraying herbicides now which we didn't have to do before but a lot of people got sick and maybe there's a better way to do this. so i think that the eyes are starting to open in that industry as well
1: yeah, I definitely think so. I um, think uh, <clears throat> I was just going to say his big battle is making this to where every farmer could use it. And that's why they're doing the, the five times concentrate version of it is so you can fit uh, what's in a five gallon bucket that's hard to carry around in something that's in a jug form that the farmer can throw into the, the back of his truck. And then, you know, you go out to a hectare and then you add in, you know, gunk, gunk, gunk of this and it goes out to the whole system. Um, that's kind of the the process he has to have with a lot of some of these growers because they want it to be now. They want it to be fast, and they want it to be just like they use those synthetic products. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of his challenge is trying to create something that's user-friendly uh, for those commercial farmers, but then also something that's going to impact everybody on on every level.
0: Fantastic. Do you know what size market he has at this time? I mean, does he ever share, like, how big his client list is
1: yeah yeah definitely I, I don't really know a lot of that information I would say that would be good things for for him to comment on because he can he can comment on specific wineries I think that's um, uh, kind of he's a, a, a what do they call the whole wine industry is viticulture yeah viticulture. I believe viticulture yeah. so he's very deep in viticulture and he is a massive wine enthusiast Um and uh so i i would say that's some of his most prestigious stuff because people know the names of these wineries yep. um and his big thing is he'll come in and he'll take soil samples he'll look at them and he'll help them out with their irrigation along with their biology because most of the time he says it's, it's a bigger picture of you know maybe they're on a layer of of rock or granite or you know maybe the irrigation sets are not getting in there like they need to you know there's there's a lot of really interesting stuff and um It's kind of like uh, the only way to learn this stuff is to be out in the field and see how they treat certain conditions, you know, and personalize a solution to every farm. And I think um, that's one big important thing about farming is it's never going to be the same on every single farm. Like that's that's one big thing I'm realizing lately is you can't have a blanket treatment blanket treatment. That's just going to work everywhere. It's just not correct. It's just a massive... The, the one thing I'm very guilty of, I'll, I'll be upfront is oversimplifying very complicated things. So, you know, it's like uh, you can't oversimplify it. You know, it, it's got to be scientifically driven on that based off of that site, you know.
0: Well, don't beat yourself up about oversimplifying things because a lot of times <laughs> that's a critical first step is to oversimplify. It so people say, oh, it's really that easy. And then you go, ah, well... Maybe not totally that easy, yeah. <laughs> but at least you got your attention. Dude. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about today? Uh, anything else that you're working on or new products that um, you're producing?
1: Mm, I yeah. Uh, here's an interesting one: uh, a triangle-shaped pot. Isn't that weird? The funny. Uh, we run into a lot of like. Weird requests here at grassroots and I I shared this on Instagram earlier this week because I just thought it was so cool and different Um, We've had so many people that reach out to us and want to make different shapes and different sizes and they expect it to To hold its shape and hold its size You can see this is perfectly a triangle at the bottom here But once you add soil into it, it turns into a perfect circle and it goes round
0: Interesting
1: the gravity of the soil will pull things down. So it needs like a, a frame so that was one thing I put out on social media this week is we love getting these really interesting requests and weird things and we'll satisfy whatever it is. And the, the customer still wants to buy four um, so we can put him in his two by four pe- tent and he understands they're going to go round, you know, um, so just kind of fun. Um, we're changing the design on a couple of our smaller pots. Uh, we make uh, transplanters where they got Velcro on both sides for transplanting. Um We're changing the design, so it's going to go from a square to a full circle, which is great. So you can kind of see it looks like a perfect 90-degree angle, sides, and squares. And our main sewer, David, has created a new design, so it's going to be completely round, and it's going to save us 20 seconds in manufacturing, which is a
2: huge
1: savings, guys. This is like 20 seconds is massive. So, um, you know... uh, working on those kind of efficiencies, gearing up for next season, um, you know, hoping to just, uh, do better than we did last year. Uh, the last two years in the cannabis industry have been in a massive decline. There's no hiding that, you know, the cannabis industry has gotten kicked in the teeth several times. And, uh, this is the year where it's going to stand up and get going, you know, it's going to charge forward. And I think, um, we're all proponents of that. That's the reason why we're here today is we've got to empower our customers to know the right directions of ways they can go. And, um, you know, allowing those people to know they can reach out to us and we can help them. And we're here like willing to just spend a lot of our time on the day on the phone with them and just hoping that they have success and they become so successful that they breed more customers like them that are more successful. So, you know, uh, I, I tell people this all the time, your success is my success. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to steal your success and I'm going to tell other people about it because that's the only way I can be successful is boasting about my customers that are doing great. Um, you know, we have, uh, uh, some people that are really big fans of yours, um, in Tennessee. Um, have you heard of, um, what is this leaving my brain right now? Fishpoop.com or ounce of hope. They're out of Tennessee. They do aquaponics and
0: uh, no, you're doing your. I haven't heard of fish poop. I I know there's fishbrew.com, but they're up in Massachusetts. Um, and yeah, there is there is a, a a couple clients that I have down in Tennessee that are trying to really um, you know convert a lot of people to living soils and using microbes. So <clears throat> it's nice to hear that they're they're circling back and getting back to you. I mean that's. <clears throat> That's like getting a hug, dude, you know, that your hard work that you did in the field is now circling back to the community as a whole um, and, and lifting all the boats equally. So that's, that's great. I'm glad to hear that.
1: Yeah. They're in Tennessee and they have a uh, deep water culture, like section of the room. And then the other section of the room is two living soil raised beds and they've got your layering technique in there. And then the other room is their aquaponics where they've got all their fish and then you know the, that's what's feeding the soil, feeding the the deep water culture system. Um, and then they remediate that fish poop out, and then sell it as a fertilizer. That's what hence the fishpoop.com. And that's uh, ounce of hope is their social media. So uh, just super super cool guys. Definitely somebody that should be checked out.
2: Uh, ounce of hope or ounce of cope on social media.
0: So, Ken, did you get that information?
2: Um, I'll have Tyler send that to me so that I can reach out to them and uh, try to get them on to describe exactly what they're doing
1: It's such yeah. a cool system in the same room to have deep Deep water culture and living soil beds right next to each other. It's like you, they post photos and people's minds just kind of
2: break
0: <laughs> That is, cool. That is really
2: cool. Oh, you're gonna hurt me again Tyler. Oh, stop it. <laughs> So Do you have to run, Layton? Um I mean,
0: I could run. I like. I've been. I had. I did a ten-hour day on Sunday just so that I would be prepared for today because I knew it was going to be chaotic. Um, yeah, I. I thought I caught up a week ago, and then last week I got behind again. So, yeah, so if you I can actually catch up. Yeah, and and if Tyler, if you want to come back on again, please. You know, by all means, you are a, a guest at any time you want to you know, pop back on and share And maybe you can come on with Dave when when we get him back. Sounds like
1: I'm going to have to wrangle Dave up and and maybe even, uh, you know, uh, he's kind of got a whole family there, a whole group of people that are helping him out there. And like I said, his dad, Gus, is really what started it back in the day. So he's a second generation farmer and they still have, uh, they have a thousand acre peach farm. That's like right there. And they're doing apple ciders and, and really cool stuff so I, I can't come back on without having david i've talked way too much about him so <laughs>
2: <laughs> well let's get to the one question that we did have and i think Leighton, that that you could help the person on this uh, question to everybody after five cycles one and a half years how much biology can i keep alive when i move reset my four by eight 200 gallon bed and my back to square one
0: no, you're not. You're not back to square one. You're still going to have what's called necromass. So you're going to have a large uh, amount of biological cysts that are going to remain in that form until their environment comes back. Would I up it? Yes, I would. I'd would recommend you know products like what Tyler has. Those you know those basic minerals and nutrients to really bump up whatever's there. Um, and then I would recommend that you do send off to uh, a soil soil food web consultant. And get a get a quantifier, get you know, get an idea what is going on there, um, and what what where you need to make improvements, um, because we can always we
2: actually we have a, a soil food web scientist in Cali alluvial alluvial soil labs. Uh, we have a discount code for them, and they're doing both biology and normal soil testing. Nice, nice. So I have we're having one them one. on with you.
0: Perfect, awesome. Look forward to it.
2: Now, if you want to jump late and I got a couple of questions for Tyler on, on pots, um, yeah. if you want to jump off.
0: Cool. I will. Thank you. Thank you. Okay.
2: Love you late and we'll see you next week. No, no, and thank you, you, we have another one of your friends coming back, uh, next week. Nice. Yeah. We're going to get an update from, um, Oh geez. I can't remember which state they're in. Um, and now I can't remember his name and he's going to shoot me for it. Um, uh, okay. Oh jeez! Well, you'll have to wait until next week. To you! Can fix me later. <laughs> okay, guys. Bye, Layton. Hey, thanks so
0: much for all the work you do, Ken, behind the scenes, Tyler. Keep yeah. up the good work, my friend. You are a patriot and a dedicated person to bringing the knowledge out to the to the world. So, thank you, guys. Both. Thank you. All right. Peace out, guys.
2: Bye, Layton. So, my question is basically on the style of pots because uh, I know that a lot of the the pots have went to the the rubber lining or plastic lining inside um are you still making the other ones and what's the difference between the two uh for people like you have your bottomless fabric where you don't have the lining um what are people looking for when when they're they're going into into pots for the different applications
1: Yeah, the living soil pots with the liner on the inside, we are, you know, people have told us it's the greatest thing to hit organic growing in in 20, 30 years, which is amazing. I can't believe people are competent with that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to it, it really depends on your environment and your situation. And so if you're on the East Coast in a very humid environment, you know, maybe you're in Hawaii. You know, you don't need a living soil pot in those really high humid environments because maybe your soil is not going to dry out. Maybe it's staying moist like it is. Maybe you don't have dry pockets. You know, it's like the living soil pot was f- created to fix issues that growers have commonly with soil. And, and let, let's talk about a, a, a normal fabric pot first, a circle mm-hmm. with no liner. And you put a soil in that, you put a plant in that. Let's talk about how it dries out so you put it outside it's going to dry out from the sun or from your grow light down and that's going to be the main way it dries out but if you don't have that liner it also dries out from the sides inward now if you have it elevated off the ground it's also going to dry out from the bottom up so now you've got drying from the top from the sides and from the bottom so you've got drying in a 360 going into the circle it's completely unnatural we don't, you don't ever really have systems that dry out like that. Like it'd be like growing in sand in a certain sense. So that living soil liner holds it in around the sides yeah. and makes it so the moisture levels are the same from the top to the bottom, all the way through. Um, so I'd say that's the, the biggest difference. And, and I think we'll always be making normal fabric pots, whether I like it or not, but just because of people's climates and people's situations. Yeah. You know, if you're on the West Coast and it's 100 degrees for 10 days, this living soil pot is going to make it to where you only have to water once a day. Some people Mm -hmm. have to water two or three times a day, which honestly it could break your, not break your well system, but I mean, like how overused is that? Where's our efficiency?
2: So, Mm -hmm.
1: you know, I think that's why a lot of people are, are using the lined pots. And, you know, it was discovered by people wrapping the outside of their pots with saran wrap. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go go wrap a fabric pot with saran wrap and watch a mushroom pop up 24 hours later. And it's like, Oh, the biology was there. It was there. It just wasn't given the right environment to thrive. When, if you take that same pot on the East coast, you don't need the liner. You just need the the fabric pot and you have that. So, you know, the living soil pots are amazing. They're a game changer. And I think, um, for indoor growers, Mm -hmm. that's where it's going to be the most impactful because that liner is holding in humidity. So if you go and water that soil and then you have a dehumidifier or you have your exhaust system, that liner is holding in a lot of that moisture on the sidewalls. And in large facilities, like Steve Cantwell reported, he can just wrap his beds and he sees a 10 percent savings on his energy bill because his dehumidifiers are running 10 percent less because the beds have it contained in themselves rather than it just seeping out everywhere and drying out. So. Indoors, I wouldn't use anything but a living soil pot or a living soil line pot or a saran wrapped pot, you know, whatever you mm-hmm. want to do there. Um,
2: and, you know, outdoors, it depends on your climate, it depends on where you're at. Okay, so for, for me, because of, of what I'm going to be doing, um, in a lot of ways, you have that, that bottomless fabric pot. So if I'm transplanting into a bed, uh, not just a, another small pot. I'm I'm better off to use something like that where I can take my my plant, get my veg cycle out of the way, and then just put it on top. I'm not disturbing my my system at all, and then she's just going to grow down in. and And I think that's the reason that you created those particular type of pots, is it not?
1: Yeah, that was uh, really uh, Steve Cantwell. You know, coming out of the fact of uh, labor efficiencies. And, and reducing and eliminating transplant shock is going to be the biggest factors there. You know, Mm -hmm. if you can eliminate or reduce transplant shock and have that beautiful growing plant never take a step back, you're increasing your yield potentials, you know, you you can't even quantify Mm -hmm. that in a certain sense. So that's, that's the thing with these living soil pot, or excuse me, the, the bottomless pot. Um, and it comes down to a labor thing, putting the liner on the inside of the that small of a container and only us charging $2.50 for it. it it's, it's like that for a certain sense. I'd have to, you know, raise the price significantly uh, mm-hmm. to add the liner to it. Um, so also it comes down to, you know, when you're doing those seedlings, those small pots, a lot of times people have a different soil mixture or a different, you know, aeration level to those smaller containers. So uh, I think that's another reason why Steve Cantwell said, you know what, I don't need the liner. I'm not interested. I just want just normal fabric. Um, Mm -hmm. And that also helps him know where the, what the roots are doing as well. So when he starts seeing the roots popping out of the bottom or popping out of the side, he knows, okay, maybe I'm going to start bottom watering these and forcing those roots to grow to the bottom and absorb that water. So, you know, that's the goal of the bottomless pots is, you know, uh, we, we fill it with soil and usually you do in its own individual saucer. That's the easiest way to do it is get a one gallon saucer, put your fabric there, fill it with soil, probably three quarters of the way up, put your clone in there, fill it the rest of the way with soil. Um, and don't move it. Don't touch it for pretty much the first two weeks. You're going to start seeing root hairs pop out of the side of the fabric, which is another reason for not having the liner. Air
2: pruning, obviously
1: air pruning, and then they should be gathering at the bottom of the container because you should start bottom watering it. You know, obviously maybe once a week you can do a feeding and, and, you know, and get the top of it there. Um, But the the real goal was just to not touch the roots and just take that little baby and mm, set it right on top of the soil. And this really, truly speaks to the people that are no till. If you're hardcore, 100% no till, this should be the only, only thing you look at because you're never disturbing your soil. Now, yeah. I, I talk to experienced growers all the time. They're like, I can't concave the soil a little bit and plant a little bit. I'm like, of course, dude, do do whatever mm-hmm. feels right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if you've Move got mulch layer
2: at least.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. You know, you create yeah. a little, you know, mulch layer and get that <laughs> direct connection, you know. Yeah. Um, but typically it takes about four days for that plant to be Velcroed to the soil where it's, it's just mm-hmm. rooted down. And it seems like you should be watering, top watering that bottomless pot for the first four or five days, obviously, right. to keep that going and keep it not from drying out in those conditions. But once it's rooted, you shouldn't really have to be watering that root ball very often. It should also be wicking up from your soil mass
2: yeah. slightly. Yeah.
1: Um, and all the feeder roots that are looking for liquid should be diving deep and getting that liquid, mining it from the soil. So. mm
2: mm-hmm. So let's jump into the, the transplant pots where it's got the Velcro. Now you said we're mentioning, because so I think it was just one side before, but now you've got both sides that the, the Velcro comes out. For, we've for we've always
1: done it. We've always done it for both sides. And, and you can see it's kind of the evolution of our products. Um, now mm. that we have the bottomless pots, the sales of the transplanters have kind of just dived off, honestly, the last year or two. Um, they're, they're nowhere as near popular as the bottomless pots. Uh, but that, that has a thick one inch wide Velcro, um, Mm -hmm. that can be washed and reused. You can simply just take a pressure washer and pressure wash the dirt out of the Velcro. Um, they're great. I I have some, um, I actually had some custom made ones, some 15 gallon ones made with a liner in there. So I have living soil transplanters in my backyard. Um, Mm -hmm but yeah, it's kind of the glory of working here is I get a weird idea and I just walk out to the warehouse and get them to make me one.
2: Boy, kind of why fun. not? R and D happens everywhere. You know, at the coffee shop and the grow, it doesn't matter. It just, Hey, let's try this. Yeah. That's why I'd love to do this at my house because I've got like 20 different versions of
1: fabric pots in my backyards with plants, just bursting out of them, going crazy. Uh, yeah. My back backyard has kind of been my little oasis that I've redone and, and all the plants from the Soil Summit, you know, whenever we had like an event or I do a booth, I'll buy plants and I'll put them in pots just to have at the booth and have it more of a personal yeah. experience. Well, I get to take those home.
2: In my own garden, so. That's cheating, man. That's cheating. Didn't Amy tell you <laughs> that? <a>
1: <laughs> yeah, man. I got some, some Carolina jessamines. I got lavenders. I've gotten... I've got three different versions of aloe vera. I've got an edible version of aloe vera because it doesn't have spots on it. So you can eat it.
2: Um, there's, you know, interesting stuff I've scored over the years. Oh, you got to like that. And, and you know, it, it shows the passion for plants and for the job that you're doing, uh, what you have created in your own home grow. And like we showed pictures um, on round one with you last week of your grow. And it looks absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, I gotta learn, man. I gotta plant later in the season. That's just they're too big. I can't believe I'm saying that as a grower, but the plants are too big. It's too much to deal with. I'm gonna have to ask for help. I, you yeah. know, it's like you want to you want to keep it contained. You want to be able to manage it yourself. You don't want to have to spend extra money that you don't need to. This year, yes. I'm gonna
2: have to. So
1: it's like, yeah.
2: yeah. Oh well, you suffer. I I I'm saying you suffering. Oh. You know, all that extra weed you have in storage, you know, this fall, you're you're just suffering for it, man. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: life right now. California.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, being up in, in the north here and in, in dealing with the cold climates, I'm, of course, going to be indoors. Uh, so I'll be getting some of the, the lined. Um, but I'm wondering if I shouldn't, in, in testing... Uh, just get a little bit of everything to test everything, um, for, you know, people that are growing indoors, um, in any kind of environment. Cause if you're growing indoors, it doesn't matter if you're in, in Texas or Australia indoors is indoors. You're controlling your, you know, uh, VPD or controlling all of those aspects. Um, so then it doesn't really matter, you know, um, what you're doing. You want to know this is the one that I should be using.
1: And size too. You know, once Mm -hmm. you get over like a 45, a 65 gallon pot, you've got so much mass, you're going to have that moisture. You're going to have that living soil happen. So the biggest thing I preach is just get into the largest soil mass you can afford to get into and then do best to take the weight off your shoulders and count on soil testing and microscopy and everything we were just talking about in this episode. And, and it's the, easiest, cheapest way to get to award-winning cannabis is to take mm-hmm. the weight off your shoulders and use science. Use soil testing, sap testing, tissue testing. Use the soil doctor. Use, um, yeah. you know, so many different people we have out there now that are educated that can look at these soil tests. Like you've got Brandon Rust from, you know, Bakoshi yeah. Bakushi Earthworks. You've got the guys that build the soil. They can recommend stuff. I mean, you've got so many yeah. different routes. And it's like, you know, I like to talk to a customer and say, okay, you got your whole setup from Build-A-Soil. Well, go ring them up and get all the free knowledge from them because you spent money from them. You they, should, they owe you free knowledge. You know, they owe you help. They owe you making sure that you're successful with it. And I think yeah. all of our proponents in Living Soil, the really successful companies, they'll spend as much time as they need to make sure you're successful. You know, um, Kiss Organics, those are amazing people. Uh, yeah. Dr. Ben Higgins and Tad Hussey, you know, those people... Those are another group of people that will just get on the phone with you and talk for hours, you know, well, and give yeah, you and free knowledge.
2: Well, and they love what they do and they want you to succeed because what is the best marketing campaign? It's that guy looking at his buddies going, this is what you got to use, man. And it's irrefutable. It's irrefutable. You know, when exactly. you get a, get a
1: clone from a buddy and then you bring him back to flower and he's like. This ain't what I gave you. I can't believe <laughs> you grew it better than me. You know what I mean? You see this whole world transform in their brain,
2: and they're like, fuck. Man, I never got those flavors out of this plant before. How did you do this? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I think um, one to notate is uh, I'm doing a lot of work with Grower for Life on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, Grower for Life is very, very well known here in California for his high quality grape pie. That's a strain that he grows. He's grown it. Consist it's like for the last twenty years straight, yeah. and he's one of the most knowledgeable growers that I've ever talked to and and helped out. And Now I'm helping him because now he's like I, I'm seeing issues on the synthetic synthetic side of things and the soil he was yeah. using. So we've got him to switch over to Kiss Organic soil, and we've got him to use our microbial products. And he's doing sap testing and he's doing soil testing, and he's now reporting you know uh, reporting some of the best growth that he's seen in the last twenty years out of this stream. <laughs> and trying to get back that waxy leaf you yeah. know that beautiful green perfect waxy Healthy. leaf that yeah. you know is is irrefutably going to be the best version of it he's ever grown so um, yeah. i'd love to see grower for life on here uh, my buddy blair he's
2: he's amazing well you'll just have to to put me in contact with him and then like i'll invite everybody on that has something to say And isn't just bro science. I I want the real science. And, you know, I don't want to put out, you know, the misinformation. I want good information for anybody that finds this channel.
1: Yeah, we actually had to go through and test his RO system. And his RO Mm -hmm. system wasn't correctly remediating his water, which was also creating issues. Mm So, you know, you should be testing your RO system every once in a while, which was something I was like, oh, shit.
2: Just the PPM meter, you mean?
1: Uh, yeah. Or he, we sent out a simple water test that was like 10 bucks yeah. for a local water test. Uh, you know, you can just Google water test near you and, you know, it's check those chloride levels or those being remediated mm-hmm. from the system because, you know, you have to replace your membrane filters every once in a while. And he was in this, okay, yep. I have to replace it every six months. He was yep. always doing that and not checking the water. But what if the water source changes and it's, it needs to be every three months now, because, Something Mm -hmm. changed in the city and Mm -hmm. the city's using different chemicals now. Maybe they switched from chlorine to chloramine and chloramine does not aerate out of the water like chlorine does.
2: Yeah. So, uh, you you know, I'm on a well and whether it's spring, summer, fall or winter, my water changes with the seasons as as the ground freezes, etc. Even traffic, um, like I have what's called a tank farm. Uh, you know, a, a mile away or not even about a quarter mile away where they haul in tanker trucks of diesel, et cetera. And if there's a lot of traffic on that road going by me, I'll actually get sulfur smell in my water. Uh, and if there's they're not busy, I won't have that sulfur smell. Mm.
1: So I'm the ground very...
2: impact actually makes a difference too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I'm seeing major differences in my well water this year. Um, I have to aerate it for about an hour for it Mm. to get uh, back up to six, three, six, five, the viable range. Cause it's coming out of my well is coming like right when it lands in my 275 gallon tank that I use, it's like almost 4.3, 4.5. Yeah. Super, super low, scary low. So I've got to sit there and aerate it for, you know, it's the first thing I do is I'll fill up my my reservoir and then get the aero mixer pump raging because uh, the aero mixer guys just hooked me up. That thing's a fucking game changer, man. Cool. If, you, cool. if you can afford it or you can go down that route and get the little speed controller thing, the volume knob on that, babe. Yeah. Yeah. So You that's can a fun move tool. a lot
2: of water with air. People don't understand just how much, like we're talking millions of gallons an hour just off an air pump.
1: Yeah, you get know. a spa
2: pump, a spa pump yeah. with
1: a two-inch, two-inch wide thing and like a three-foot piece of PVC pipe right in the bottom. You yeah. could, you'll be, should will be rolling. Those things are like 100 bucks on Amazon.
2: Yeah, it's it's actually like I, I know when I was uh, setting up my aquaponic system, um, I got into really looking at how to move, you know, water with air because it's so much cheaper. And those pumps you can actually repair because all it is is a bloody rubber diaphragm instead of replacing impellers and stuff like that you know a lot simpler system and i think that's what people really need to look for is the simple uh cost effective way that gives them the best results for what they want in their environment
1: yeah i completely agree and i think it's all about the soil less about the my container you can you can do great in a solo cup but if it's it's the quality of the soil you know what i mean it's yeah. not the it's not the container
2: biology that's in the soil and then giving the biology access to all the different components that it needs not only to make more biology but to actually build the cells of the plant without the 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 nutrients there for them to use to build that that building per se you know you're not going to have a very healthy plant oh, yeah. Part of that anyway system. my friend we should probably cut it there we're at an hour and a half and i think i got my questions answered and and it was something that i i wanted everybody to understand of why you have two different types of of pots available but it's it's really you know indoor outdoor north south and how much moisture is in your uh, area to whether you need you know to not have the moisture escaping or to literally have the moisture escaping
1: Yep, and just reach out to us on social media, Grassroots fabric Pots on Instagram, Facebook, or just call the office here. We're a small family company, and we would love to do everything we can to ensure your success.
2: And you're probably going to get Tyler on the phone, unless he's on this podcast, because then we, we we block you out. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, we've got Andy on uh, Wednesday night, and we've got the girls, the sun and the moon back on Thursday Um, Sorry, I I had my power go out for two and a half hours last Thursday. So we didn't have the show last Thursday, but they will be back uh, on this Thursday. So other than that, uh, peace out, everybody, and we'll catch you on Wednesday.